Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 8th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, a busy week on the camp, caucus campaign trail in Iowa, the latest Republican presidential debate, and some interesting going-ons in local government over in Davenport. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Greetings, Jared. Aaron, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what channel News Nation is on. So if you could help me with that, that would be uh, fantastic. I'm very disappointed to hear that because I was on News Nation this morning, Jared, and you missed that. And now I've just died a little inside. I, I take that back. I, I know exactly what channel uh, News Nation is on, and I keep it locked on there all the time. <laughs> and also with us is Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hello. I. You can't see this, uh, listeners, but I'm holding up a legal pad right now that says, uh, says Aaron corrupt corruption. Aaron equals corruption. <laughs> so harsh but fair. Harsh but fair. <laughs> Big if true. <laughs> uh, and Jared, to come back to you really quick, I'm just. Uh, are, are we cool? Are we on speaking terms after Sunday night football? Is is everything simpatico? On to Cincinnati, Aaron. <laughs> There we go. All right. First up this week, uh, we start with the latest Republican presidential debate, which was held Wednesday night in Alabama. Only four candidates were on the debate stage this time. And once again, as has been the case throughout this year, not among them was former president and current polling leader Donald Trump. We did see Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Iowa snubber Chris Christie. Uh, Let's just open up things here, gang. Uh, Give me any reaction you had to Wednesday night's debate. I'll just get the ball rolling to say very quickly that um, clearly there was a strategy to go after Nikki Haley on the stage. Um, that's not surprising given the polls and and uh, how she and Ron DeSantis are essentially tied. But that was a pretty obviously strategy, pretty obvious strategy that 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 came out. What else did anybody else see? Yeah, I mean, uh, Nikki Haley was the uh, was the target of a lot of criticism, and that's always good news because. Uh, if they're trying to kick you around, that means that you're, you know, that you, if they have to bring you down, it must mean you're up, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> as far as up as you can be in, in this race with, you know, Donald Trump still got a pretty Yeah, big it's all lead. relative, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, they, uh, I mean, it's probably one of the more uh, sort of, I don't know what the exact word is, but I don't know, feisty. I mean, it was a pretty, it was, it was, it, it was, you know, send the kids to bed sort of a debate. The adults are, uh, the adults are fighting. Go to bed. TV, TVMA. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably the truest thing that was said was when Chris Christie said that, uh, I forget the exact quote, but that Vivek Ramaswamy is the biggest blowhard in America. I think that was something along those lines. And, uh, after he, and I'm not sure this was after or before, I can't remember, but, uh, after, uh, uh, Ramaswamy, uh, proclaimed that, uh, uh, January 6th was an inside job. So I guess maybe he's should announce that he's going to have Alex Jones as his running mate. Cause I think that would be a, just have the conspiracy party ticket. So, so yeah, there was a lot of fur flying, a lot of odd things said, uh, I, I can't believe that, you know, how 
cowardly the moderators were to have a debate in Alabama and not ask the candidates one question about the college playoff and the picks <laughs> and who should have been in and who shouldn't have been in. So You they, know, and the sad thing is that actually would have been politically relevant because Governor DeSantis' state is actually... Yeah, t- yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Which is just quite a sentence to say. Not, not to get not not to get too far afield with that, but uh, it was pretty funny to see there were people on Saturday before those um, you know the playoff seedings came out saying that if uh, FSU didn't make it, that Donald Trump should blame Ron DeSantis for that. And then sure enough, the next day when FSU did not make the playoffs, Donald Trump blamed Ron DeSantis. No, no, no. He uh, fact check. He blamed Ron DeSanctimonious. Yes, there we go. <laughs> yeah, Ron DeSantis is. Alter ego. But I don't know who I don't know who won the debate. I think maybe Haley did. Although I got a lot of email from DeSantis campaign saying that this was he was strong and the clear winner. So I mean, how can I argue with that? <laughs> An email that was clearly not written even before the debate started, <laughs> yeah. right? It came like one minute after <laughs> the debate started. They knew the he was going to win. Emails that came at, during, yeah, and after the debate and before. Yeah, I think definitely like there were a lot of attacks, especially on Haley, and she kind of didn't she she didn't seem to engage as much with like Ramaswamy as she did previously. Um, and she just like one exchange, she just said, you know, it's not worth my time to respond to him. Mm-hmm. That's a really Which, good point. Sorry, said um, just to oh, add to that. that yeah, I, I hadn't. Sorry that I I hadn't considered until you just said it is. But she did engage with DeSantis. Um, so that I I I I suppose and think reflecting upon that now that shows some discipline on her point that you know what what do I have to gain gain by um, you know getting in the mud with with Ramaswamy versus. It actually very much is in my interest to to engage directly with DeSantis. So that's a really good point. Thanks, Sarah. Sorry, keep going. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say basically pretty much the same thing that you were going to say that um, it seems like she didn't think that Ramaswamy was worth firing back at or um, and really just like I wonder if that speaks to his um, stature as a candidate, if she's really kind of risen up the the ranks to um, battling it out for a second with DeSantis. Well, I, you know, this is, it's kind of a historic campaign that Ramaswamy is running. He's, he's the first candidate to try to appeal directly to internet trolls. So he's, this is just, you know, he's, he's, he's the first troll candidate for the presidency. I think that we've, that we've come across. So, and, and, and the fact that you're on the debate stage and you have to live by the rule, don't feed the trolls. I think that's what, that's what Nikki Haley was doing. It's, it's, yeah, it's. As, now are those the trolls like uh, the, the sync animated movie or is that, is this a different kind of troll? No, not the, and not the pencil topper that you spin and their hair goes crazy. It's not that kind of troll either, but uh, maybe a, a garden gnome. No. You um These are the folks you, that leave little little uh, love letters for me on an email <laughs> and and on X. You mentioned the uh the thing where uh, Ramaswamy said that uh, January sixth was an inside job. Um, earlier this year, he said that censorship was responsible for January sixth, and then his book from a couple years ago, uh, Nation of Victims, which he has talked about on the campaign trail. He said that January 6th was a dark day for democracy. And uh, 
that the loser of the last election, quote, refused to concede the race, claimed the election was stolen, raised hundreds of millions of dollars from loyal supporters, and is considering running for executive office again. So that's uh, uh, three different uh, stances on January 6th in the span of about uh, two years or so. Impressive. Uh, I can only assume that he has learned new information um, since then that has um, explained uh, uh, the shifting um, explanations there. Um, He's evolving. Yeah. We were talking about um, Haley, and and one thing I don't uh, entirely understand is what exactly is uh, Chris Christie's strategy now? Because he spent some of the time during the debate defending Nikki Haley, but He's also on the campaign trail been criticizing her for flip-flopping on issues like abortion. And he doesn't seem like he's that big of a fan of DeSantis or Ramaswamy, who he called a blowhard. And he's called Trump a dictator. So the only person left for him to support then is Nikki Haley, who he's still going at, even though he's pulling behind her in all of the first four states. So I don't really know what that adds up to. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, and I guess maybe should we assume that there is a strategy there? Well, that, uh, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> um, but but you're right, and uh, I mean, especially if you look at it, you know, the the general wisdom from as much as I gathered was that he, Chris Christie, saw his role primarily as as someone to uh, put some dents in in Donald Trump's armor which he has certainly done that there's no doubt about that or at least it tried to i should say um uh but but yeah to your point uh, i mean he's he's kind of taken swings at everybody else who's left standing in this race too so uh, unless he genuinely believes he's got a chance in this thing which um i look forward to the explanation of, of that math i have some bad news <laughs> <laughs> and him just like being in the race his supporters are probably going to um be more aligned with nikki haley than anybody else so if he yeah. does drop out that'll boost nikki haley so him staying in the race actually doesn't doesn't help her um you know even though he's like obviously defending her on the debate stage so i don't know if that's where that's where he's he's le- he's going i don't know but um no. that well would seem to be much yeah and 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 to that end and and we'll we'll put a pin in this part of the discussion um, by noting we just got uh, so as we sit here and record on Thursday afternoon a couple hours ago um, CNN announced the next two debates one each in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, Iowa's on the 10th um, at Drake University in Des Moines just five days before the caucuses and uh, it, in the qualifying um, criteria that they laid out Chris Christie won't be on that debate stage Um because uh, you have to have reached a polling threshold in Iowa, and he's not polling at all well here because he doesn't campaign here. Um, and and I and actually, unless he has a big bump, Vivek won't either. And uh, we assume here that Donald Trump won't attend that one either. Because uh, why start now? So what we're looking at in Iowa on January 10th is a debate between um, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Uh, so that is interesting for myriad reasons there. All right, uh, let's let's move on and get out uh, back on the caucus campaign trail, which, again, uh, very busy this past week. And again, obviously still busy, as I said at the uh, uh, top. Or did I say at the top? If I didn't, we're shorthanded today because uh, Tom and Caleb are actually out covering candidates, doing doing their jobs, unlike us schmucks just sitting here uh, talking at our laptops. Um, 
uh, so uh, a busy time. Uh, Jared, let's start with you. You covered DeSantis as he opened a campaign office in Sioux City this past weekend, and and he made a specific pitch to Iowa Republicans there. I I actually personally hadn't heard this one. I'm sure he's said it before. I I, I just hadn't heard it, but I thought it was interesting. Tell us about the pitch Ron DeSantis made in Sioux City. Um, so even just in these specific times that we have covered DeSantis when he's done events in our area, um, he has definitely sharpened his attacks on Trump quite a bit. And they occupied a decent chunk of his speech to the crowd that was gathered in his new campaign office. He said the Democratic Party wants to run against Trump because uh, the Democratic Party and the media, uh, capital M on media, I guess, um, that they have a playbook that they're going to use and that unfortunately it will work. Um, DeSantis said even if Trump did win, that he'd spend a, a good deal of time uh, focused on his own specific problems instead of the problems of the country. Um, DeSantis also went at Trump, and this is something we've talked about before, that it's surprising more people don't do this. He also went at Trump uh, for the fact that Trump would only be able to serve one more term and that it would be much easier for the Democratic Party to retake the White House and undo only four years worth of conservative policymaking versus eight. Um, that's occasionally come up with some of the other candidates, but not very often. So it was interesting to hear DeSantis picking that up and making more of a case on that ground. Um, and yeah, he was getting um, quite a bit of applause for those criticisms this past week, which does make me wonder just slightly where DeSantis voters would actually go if he were to drop out, which seems very likely, unlikely to happen um, before the caucuses, given we're a month out. He's betting a lot on Iowa. But an event like that in the last week is maybe an indication that there might be more of a deviation between the Trump base and the DeSantis base than somebody might necessarily think. And also, you know, it's indication that uh, DeSantis is maybe starting to realize he needs to start ramping up these Trump attacks if he wants to gain ground. Yeah, I mean, the the math speaks for itself, right? We've talked about how, throughout this year how Trump's number is at a place where even if you added up everybody else's um, support, it doesn't reach Trump's. So if someone wants to actually beat Trump, and, and we have also talked here about how you don't necessarily have to do that in Iowa. You just got to be close. You got to be competitive. But if someone actually wants to beat Trump, that you're clearly going to have to chip away at his support and bring him down from that 40 whatever number. Um, uh, but yeah, I thought that that was interesting, Jared. Um, and and, and a, another thing that, you know, I, I still definitely believe all the polling because we've seen so much of it for Iowa. But, you know, some of these different things maybe make me believe just a little bit more that DeSantis might overperform because like no one else has bothered to open up a campaign office in this part of the state yet. And uh, Northwest Iowa kind of matters when it comes to conservatives. Um, and no one else has done the 99 county thing, which, you know, is sort of a media or not a media creation, sort of a campaign creation. But that still matters in terms of laying the groundwork and, and building up your support. The, the slogan, the full Grassley, is literally a media creation, by the way, for all of our uh, newer politics listeners who may not know that. Uh, tip of the hat to Jason Noble, former Des Moines Register reporter uh, who now works up at the Iowa Capitol with the uh, Senate Democrats. Uh, that was that he coined that phrase, uh, but wasn't smart enough to trademark it. Uh, uh, that's so, where he missed out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's where he was a little short sighted. <laughs> Um, I was going to add, Jared, the, um, he stopped, DeSantis stopped in Eldridge here over the weekend, and uh, he um, he's had a lot of those similar things to say, 
And he also, he got a question from, or really more of a statement from somebody in the crowd who said, you know, I like you, but I saw you on this news program and, and they were really trying to get you to say that uh, Trump, um, that uh, Trump lost the 2020 election that Biden won. And I just, I didn't really have much respect for you for that first, like basically kind of uh, saying, saying that. And DeSantis had, a, I thought an interesting answer. He basically said, well, um, you know, Trump wasn't the one taking the oath of office on January 20, whatever. Um, and it, and like, basically, you know, because he wasn't there, he didn't take the oath and he didn't, he didn't get there. He didn't accomplish that goal. And so he tried to pivot that into like, I'm going to accomplish my goals. And if, if, you know, the Democrats try to take it from me, like, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to get to the podium or get to the swearing in, in January, 2025. Um, and so, so that, I thought that was really an interesting way to like pivot from that question and try to show a contrast between you and Trump without like making this voter angry, but also not really answering the question of whether, you know, he believes that, um, that Biden won, won the 2020 election. Yeah, if you if you don't want to acknowledge that, which I understand why um, some of the Republican candidates don't, considering where some of the base is with the, uh, that question, um, it is surprising that more of the candidates haven't used that response of like, even if the election was stolen from Trump, he wasn't strong enough to stop it from happening. That seems like right. the safest safest thing to say if you're not going to acknowledge the results of the election. Yeah, I think it kind of like made him a little like riled him up a little bit because that was like supposed to be one of the last questions and then he took like five more questions after that (laughs) (laughs) interesting all right that's good stuff thanks for that uh anecdote too sarah that's awesome um so sarah Sarah, since you uh introduced that great uh little anecdote you win the next uh question um (laughs) uh you covered an an event with trump in davenport and and i don't want to take too much away from Trump in the event itself, but you wrote about a very interesting exchange that involved the Republican a candidate who has challenged incumbent Republican Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks over there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Trump was in Davenport for Fox News Town Hall with Sean Hannity, and nationally he got headlines for saying that he would uh, he would only be a dictator on day one to close the border and that he wouldn't be a dictator after that, but didn't really decline Sean Hannity, you know, Sean Hannity tried to ask him unequivocally, will you not use the office to um, to for retribution against your your political enemies? And he didn't really answer that. Um, Of course, Hannity really was like soft and gentle with the lead into that question, too. Yeah. The media is really focused on this. But (laughs) will you tell the public that you won't? Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. But uh so he made headlines for that, um, but local media is not um, uh, is not allowed into those Fox News exclusive town halls. So we were um, at a local pub and eatery, Front Street, um, at, waiting for Trump to make a, uh, he made a little like meet and greet with some supporters. And uh, somebody who really took up a lot of oxygen in the room was uh, the uh, man who's running for Congress against Marionette Miller-Meeks, um, David Patch. And he, you know, shook Trump's hand and he um, talked to him for a few minutes and and Trump kind of turned to the rest of the crowd and was like, oh, kind of floated the idea of an endorsement. Like, oh, do you guys like him? And and the, and several people in the crowd were like, yeah. And um, and 
and uh, David Patch is like telling him about the race and about himself and about um, it's very clear that he is like courting Donald Trump for his endorsement. Um, and uh, and so but Trump did not explicitly endorse David Patch. He, he pretty much said, um, you know, you guys, you guys, that'd be a big endorsement. What do you guys think? And called him a called him a very good man um, as he was leaving. Um, but he did he didn't say explicitly whether he would put his support behind him even though several of his supporters were like, we, we need your endorsement, Mr. President. Um, uh, so that was that exchange. I thought that was really interesting because um, Trump did not endorse Marionette Miller Meeks in her 2022 reelection bid. Um, he endorsed Ashley Hinson and Brandy Feenstra. And then I don't think he endorsed in the third district's race, but um, unless maybe he did later. No, I, 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 think you're right but but don't quote any of us on that i would have to go back and <laughs> double check but yeah but he he um marionette miller meeks was one of uh 35 house republicans that had initially voted in support of establishing a bipartisan commission to investigate january 6th um events of january 6th that effort later failed and it became a democrat only um commission but uh so that I just thought was an interesting exchange. We'll we'll see what kind of uh, traction David Patch can um, can gain, but uh, certainly he was he was really trying to get a high profile endorsement when Trump visited. <laughs> Always be courting. I thought that was fantastic. But it uh, made his way into the room and and uh, shot a shot. That's, that's outstanding. Anything else uh, from that uh, event there? And I know you had some help uh, from the team covering uh, that day, Sarah. Anything else uh, noteworthy from uh, Donald Trump's time in Davenport, this recent trip? Um, yeah, there was lots of people who were like waiting in line outside. My colleague Tom Lowy wrote a story about that um, uh, and about like what people were were thinking um, ahead of the ahead of the town hall. And there were a few people, uh, who Trump supporters from Iowa who were really disappointed in Iowa governor Kim Reynolds' uh, endorsement of Ron DeSantis. Um, and so thought that she would be on the wrong side of history. So, uh, so that was interesting as well. I also, when I was, I tried to, when, as Trump was, uh, floating this idea of endorsing David Patch and I, so I tried to ask him about it. And, and so then he turns to me and he asks, he asks if I'm with the fake news uh, media and and asks what outlet I was with. And he, and I, when I said the Quad City Times, he's like, oh, they're good. Tell them I say hello. Say hello for well, me. There you go. There you go. There's the endorsement we really need to be talking about. Yeah. The, the thing from that um, actual interview that is probably going to be stuck in my brain for the longest is that at one point he said that Biden doesn't know if he's alive or dead. Which seems like something someone would be aware of. Now, hold on. So Biden is not aware that Biden is alive or dead, or Biden is not aware. Correct. Of yeah, that was what he. Okay. He, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, even on my bad days, I think I'm fairly aware that I'm still alive. That's an interesting one. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, Todd. Um, the, as, as we talk about things are really heating up here, the the Campaigns are more frequent, which I know all of us love to hear. Uh, presumably, we'll get one little respite around Christmas, but other than that, it's going to be like this for the next five plus weeks. Um, you've been around these uh, before, and, and this is kind of a different form of a question we've asked often over the last months. But uh, now that it, we are kind of in that 
run up to the finish. Do you have any sense that anything is moving, that that that, that it, anything is changing, or 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 do you think that we're still kind of in this same place where it's Donald Trump and everybody else battling out uh, for a distant second? Yeah, it's you know I I think that's the way it's going to end up. I mean, the only suspense is is basically will DeSantis or Haley do better than expected and sort of set themselves up to be the, you know, the, the main challenger to Trump. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, and, and also if Trump underperforms, what's that going to mean for him going forward? If he, if he happens to not match his polling and wins right. by less than, well, I don't know, 20% or, <laughs> which is still a pretty big win, but still, I mean, if he underperforms one of the other candidates, overperforms i you know it's interesting i i kind of think a lot of you know looking at the way things are now and the way this is shaping up you can't help but wonder if some of the you know top democratic leaders legislative leaders the governor maybe might have waited and you know maybe they would have been better off helping haley than than desantis in the end because i think she's she's going to end up being a stronger candidate you said Democratic. I assume you meant Republican. Republican leaders, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they, you know, a lot of them kind of, you know, uh, Winshittle and, and all of those folks kind of mm-hmm. endorsed DeSantis early when he, you know, when his, uh, you know, the narrative was that he was going to be a strong challenger and that hasn't that hasn't happened. I And I, you know, I think at this point they could have helped Nikki Haley more than they've helped mm. DeSantis. But I, I, I still think, I mean, Trump is, is likely to win the, the caucuses pretty handily, but uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's such a good point. And um, when I talk to people who have studied this stuff for years and years and cycles and cycles, that's one of the, one of the best pieces of, of advice or perspective I, I've always, that has always stuck with me is it's not just about the finish. It's about the finish versus expectations. Um, you know, 25% for one candidate doesn't mean the same thing as a 25% for the next candidate. If, if the first one was expected to, to, to be much, uh, to do much better. Um, and, and then, and the other thing about that, that I hadn't thought about as much, and I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned it, um, Todd, and I guess I haven't thought about it because it's been so static, but that Donald Trump support level. I mean, we're, we're just assuming at this point that he's going to be in the, in the mid forties to 50% range in the caucuses. Cause that's, literally what the polling has been for him since june um but if he doesn't for some reason that that's such a great point if 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 he finishes you know if his caucus number drops off from that there's going to be questions uh because it's again it's relative to expectations the expectation has been set by the polling now that donald trump is at 40 x percent you know so um yeah it's interesting i i i'm i'm uh, i'm personally still so painfully on the fence about this I, I it just still feels like the most likely result you know i i keep hearing uh an invisible person with an invisible baseball bat with occam's razor printed on it batting me over the head saying it's been like this for eight months that's what it's going to be like on january 15th but there's this i i don't know if it's because i genuinely sense something or if it's because i want to the, to be more competitive, I genuinely don't know the answer to that, but there's still a small part of me that keeps saying, well, there's still time. Iowans are late breakers. Something still could yeah. happen. And if you look at the trend line, God help me, 
there's a tiny little increase right now in Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley's numbers over the last week or so. And is that the start of a big spike over the last six weeks here? I, I don't know. It may not be. Um, uh, so I, I still kind of keep saying, well, there's time for something to happen. But but uh, like I said, the voice of realism in me keeps saying, dude, sh- shut up. What what you be- believe your eyes and what's been happening over the last almost year here. I think the other thing that will it'll depend on will be like how well the Trump campaign can turn out that support on Congress yeah. night. Yep. They yep. Have that one night, that one time slot um, to get yep. there. And they say they're better at that this time than they were eight years ago. The proof will be in the pudding. We'll see. You were going to say something, Jared. Uh, that, that was a very Looney Tunes-esque uh, <laughs> picture that you painted of someone with a, a bat with Occam's razor on it hitting you over the head uh, repeatedly. I'm imagining there would be a, a welt on your head that then would get like very, very tall very, very quickly. And then a circle of three Donald Trumps uh, well, maybe- go, going around in circles going, fake news, fake news, fake news. <laughs> Or maybe it's uh, you. You say that there's still a chance for someone to to catch up, and then you you turn into a sucker that says like "sucker" on it. <laughs> and uh, Aaron, I have to I have to mention something else. This is me being an ombudsman and and very persnickety. But uh, people always uh, say the the proof of the pudding or the proof is in the pudding. It's actually supposed to be the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That, uh, is that right? Makes makes much more sense. Yes, than just the proof <laughs> That's is in true. the pudding. Yes. Oh wow! I learned something today. I did not know mm-hmm. that. Wow! I I did not know that. Mm, I, I'm just I'm just saying all these things because <laughs> I'm just saying all these things because I don't have much to add beyond uh, that uh, the the polls are what the, the polls are and they've been that way for months now. <laughs> right, was that whole right. was that whole pudding thing? Was that like a crack about DeSantis? You know, the eating the pudding with his hands. The proof is in the pudding if it's eaten with your hands. Something like that. <laughs> who was the candidate who what ate pizza that? the wrong way last time? They ate it with the fork or something and cut it up and well, Trump's for that. Done, Trump's done that before. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Well, Sorry, what's this DeSantis pudding thing? There's, there's, oh, did there you miss a, that? There was a story yeah, that circulated that. that from a, a, a former staffer or someone that he would like, you know, take those cups of pudding and he would just like eat them with his hands. I mean, he would just dive in there and, and there, get a get a handful. There was a very um, gross uh, Trump ad that was uh, based off of that. And I say gross because like they got like some really gross like pudding sounds like in the oh. ad. Of just like this, like kind of sloshing around, gooey sound. <laughs> oh man! I bet they, I, I bet the, the the studio was like, uh, "You want what? Yeah, pudding, hold pudding on. sounds." I had, I had a question about the note for this sound effect. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pudding usually oh, just man. sits there; it doesn't make a sound. I, I was like envisioning um, Ron DeSantis going to like a pizza ranch and just like scooping up pudding with his hand. Or oh, something. Uh, <laughs> so that's uh, what I was envisioning. You can't do that. That's, <laughs> double dipping. that's like double dipping. You can do I, that with your own pudding, but you can't do that with communal pudding. Exactly. Yeah. I I do appreciate that we're getting one of these stories every presidential cycle now of a potentially bizarre eating habit. Last time around. We had the story about, you know, Klobuchar using a comb, right, to eat a salad with or something like that. Her, her aide forgot to get her a fork. Yeah. She was, she was ticked. Oh, oh, man. 
<sighs> if you can't tell folks, uh, we've been on the trail a while and, and we're anxious for January 15th. We're getting a little punchy here. Uh, <laughs> we've covered all the angles. Um, all right, real, real quick before we go, uh, it, it's tempting to leave on that high note, but uh, uh, we got some interesting goings on uh, in in Davenport that I want Sarah to, to fill us in on. Um, uh, just a real fascinating series of events regarding local government, and, and you know it so much better than I, Sarah, so I'm, I'm, I'll let you tell us all about it. Yeah, so I'll try to keep this brief, um, but since I think I've last spoken um, about Davenport City politics, um, uh, so just in the week or so before Thanksgiving, um, uh, the city announced that, that its city administrator would be uh, departing the city at the end of the year. And then um, the day before Thanksgiving announced that they would be uh, settling or providing her a settlement payment, separation payment of uh, $1.6 million uh, as in lieu of a lawsuit um, that uh, uh, the city council in a statement released with that separation agreement said that um, uh, Ms. Spiegel had experienced harassment and, and uh uh, behaviors from elected officials that uh, were, I think that one of the words they used was appalling. So um, that's um, that that happened, and um, and then just recent, and I should say also for state government or politics people who may be interested in that angle, the city council also in their letter they said that there was no real true enforcement mechanism for to hold elected officials accountable. And one of the things that they asked for was for a uh, state official to be created, the state legislature to create some kind of official that would investigate and hold accountable elected officials for violations of uh, state law or municipal code um, and provide fines or um, or other accountability measures uh, to try to keep members in line and prevent them from harassing other individuals. Though. Um, I talked to somebody, the executive director with the Iowa League of Cities, and um, he told me, well, members can establish codes of conduct at ahead of a session. Like, for example, the Iowa League of Cities board has its own code of conduct. And so that lays out some clear behavioral boundaries and can then city councils can kind of police themselves or, or hold their own members accountable. So um, Alan, it's Alan Kemp. He, he didn't really seem to think that there was maybe much of a role for state government in that. But um, so that that was a big thing that happened. And then here just yesterday, uh, the seventh ward alderman who was removed um, because of some of these complaints of harassment, um, a judge ruled that his due process rights were violated because the city council did not provide a written statement explaining the decision that they made. Um, so it for one crazy minute, we thought that uh, he was going to be reinstated to the Davenport City Council. Um, he was not, the uh, city appealed to, this, to the Iowa Supreme Court, and so there was a stay put on the injunction. Um, and so he did not, he was not reinstated to the city council, and there's only one more meeting until the new council is sworn in. So he is unlikely to be reinstated by the courts. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And 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 to circle back just really quick, and you mentioned the the proposed idea for a, a role in the state and in, in oversight of these local issues it's 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 interesting and it'll be interesting to hear if there's any uh stomach for traction on that it's pretty easy to imagine why people would also be uneasy about that kind of uh legislation or state law uh, of of the you know the state having that kind of uh authority over 
local government officials. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any stomach for anything like that um, at the legislature this year. And so, so Jared, before we sign off uh, real quick, you've been telling us about some uh, an interesting case of voter fraud up in Northwest Iowa. Uh, just really quick, I saw this week, Jeremy Taylor uh, resigned his leadership position on the board, but not from the board itself. Is that right? And, and where does that leave us moving forward? So yeah, he's still uh, in his seat representing uh, District 5 in Woodbury County. Um, but uh, yeah, he has said that... Um, uh, quote, I work hard to do the absolute best job I can and that the voters hold us accountable every four years. Mm -hmm. um, and he also said uh, that the process overall about, uh, you know, any future charges against him or what might happen to him being on the board is, quote, in the hands of the people. So at least as of now, it does not seem like he's going to be going anywhere uh, anytime soon. There you go. And honestly, it, I'm glad you read that quote because that's exactly what I could hear someone in the legislature saying about the proposal out of Davenport that Sarah just described, you know, if, if state lawmakers don't want to get their hands involved in that, what, what they say is, um, you know, Hey, it's up to the local voters to decide that whether they want that uh, uh, person still around. I mean, heck, we even heard that argument over the George Santos thing in, in Congress too, right. Uh, for people who were uneasy about voting to expel him um, and all his myriad and fantastic transgressions um you had people saying hey it's it's up to the voters of his district to decide that um so anyways I forgot uh, to, sorry really quick no, i forgot to add a really important part um it appears that the uh this 1.6 million so i should say the 1.6 million dollar settlement with um the former city administrator wasn't uh voted on in open session um mm. it appears that they consented to it in closed session and so that's something also that people um, are wondering about this was an agreement that was signed uh, October 6th so well before That's the election right. um, and people yep. voters didn't have a chance to ask the mayor the council candidates um, how they were going to form a new administration yep yep fascinating stuff all right that should do it for this week's episode we appreciate you uh tuning in and uh, join us again next week if you're not already please subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts and you can also catch us each week on your preferred gazette or lee newspaper website now that you've listened to the on iowa politics podcast please make sure you're also subscribed to the on iowa politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team you can subscribe to that free newsletter at the gazette's website thegazette.com and lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages, websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Fall Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Uh, a lot of great, I mean, that's the case every week, but a lot of great coverage and interesting stuff. Uh, uh, so please find your way to those websites and check out those stories that we talked about today. Johnny On Point will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.